In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Don't be shy. Area 51 is not on a map. Who reads maps anyway? Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. need to exist for the workers to get radiation burn. Anything goes in Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. So Jeremy, like after the last show, I, I, I listened to that. I think we're doing way too much funny stuff. I mean, I want this to be more or less a serious show sometime. Um, so Let's kind of scale it back a little bit and, and straighten our ties and, and, and get us some serious discussion tonight. Well, I'm a little under the weather anyway, so that works for me. Cool. Let's just get into it with him. Okay, so who's the guest? Um, it's Norio uh, Hayakawa. And, uh, in fact, I have this, uh, this song here to intro him. Okay. Today I passed you on the street And my heart fell at your feet I can't help it if I'm still in love with you Somebody else stood by your side And he looked so satisfied I can't help it if I'm still in love with you. A picture. Jeremy, I we weren't going to do funny stuff this week. Jeff, that's actually that's actually Norio Hayakawa's own music. I'm sorry. What? <clears throat> Please welcome to the program, Mr. Norio Hayakawa. I hope I said that correctly. That's correct. Thank you so much. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I got it right. Now, Norio, next um, Sunday, let me see here. It would be Sunday the 29th of March. You're holding a conference in New Mexico. Is that right? That's where, correct. Where, where, tell uh, us, I am... Yeah, tell us about this conference. It's interesting. It's about the, the, Dulce, the Dulce supposed alien... Human base, is that That's right? correct. Uh, this is the first time ever conference and public forum to be held right in the town of Dulce, New Mexico. Uh, and the name of this uh, unprecedented conference and public forum is called the Dulce Base, Fact or Fiction. And uh, it'll be held on Sunday, March 29th, from 10 a.m. all the way to even about 5 p.m. It's a one-day public 
forum and public meeting as well because we are expecting the residents of Dulce to participate in our quest to really get to the bottom of these uh, rumors about the alleged Dulce underground base. So I'm really excited, uh, Jeff, in the in you know Jeremy. Well, before we before we get into all of that fun, tell us about you. Tell us uh, about your background, how you got into all this. Well, I got into uh, all of this uh, because uh, I was a long time. Um, activist in California and I became an activist in 1988 Uh, and uh, my interest in 1988 was both Area 51 in Nevada as well as Dulce, New Mexico and most people have no idea that uh, both the topic of Area 51 and Dulce, New Mexico, started popping out around the same time. And, uh, you know, this is very, uh, very interesting. But uh, anyway, I was in California and uh, living in California. And in 1990, I formed a citizen's oversight group uh, government's oversight, you know, uh, and this was called the Civilian Intelligence Network. It was a loosely knit network of, uh, you know, citizens who were concerned about the government so-called black projects programs, uh, not that we were against uh, the black uh, budget programs, but we were more interested in finding out if those black projects programs were meeting the standards of, you know, uh, environmental uh, laws. And uh, that was uh, actually my main concern. And I became interested in Area 51 in, uh, as I mentioned to you, 1988, um, but uh, in 1987, uh, one year before that, I received uh, an interesting packet from William Moore, or Bill Moore, uh, in, which, uh, he, uh, in which there was a photo of a Russian satellite photo of uh, Groom Lake, and uh, a few information about uh, this place called Area 51 in Nevada. So that was 1987. And then, uh, you know, in 1988, I was in Los Angeles, and uh, I attended a private meeting at a resident uh, residence in which uh, an author by the name of Bill Steinman came and presented his theory about the so-called Aztec crash. But uh, in that uh, 1988 uh, presentation in Los Angeles at a private home, I met Bill Steinman. And uh, then uh, Bill Steinman uh, at that time uh, did mention 
Area 51. That was in 1988. But actually, uh, the Area 51 story started uh, to get disseminated actually in 1989 uh, when uh, KLAS TV, TV Eyewitness News uh, began a series of interviews at the end of the news uh, with a gentleman by the name of Bob Lazar, and that was the beginning of the uh, knowledge of about Area 51 among the America's uh, general public. Uh, that was 1989, and uh, well, I uh, in 1989, yes, I did go to uh, Nevada's uh, Highway 375, and then I uh, attended some interesting gatherings in Rachel that was back in 1989. And then in 1990, I contacted a Japanese magazine and told them that there is an interesting gentleman in Nevada by the name of Robert Lazar, and let's, uh, you know, uh, let's uh, interview him and uh, write an article in the Japanese magazine. So the Japanese magazine became really interested, and uh, uh, to my surprise, they uh, brought a team of Nippon television crew. And uh, so that was in 1990, in March. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was the beginning of my involvement with both Area 51 and Dulce, New Mexico. Well, let me ask you, when Bill Moore sent you that package, were you in ufology at that point, or were you... Oh, yes, uh, I was in were... ufology for many, many years. Uh, I was in ufology beginning in 19... 63 and uh, in 1963 I was in Japan but anyway I was into ufology because my father used to tell me about how he sighted a strange greenish object in 1947 in the summer in the bay of Yokohama Japan while he was night fishing but anyway uh, so I was into ufology uh, already in 1963 you know, when I was in high school. And then the dramatic uh, thing came up in 1964, which uh, I was still in Japan, by the way, in high school. Uh, and uh, that was when, actually, I was so impressed with the Socorro, New Mexico incident that took place in April in 1964, and the article about this strange encounter by Lonnie Zamora of Socorro, a police uh, patrol officer, this incident gave me such a tremendous impression while I was in Japan because I read this article in the Japanese newspaper. And uh, so uh, I, uh, in 1964, I really started researching uh, about uh, UFOs. But, uh, of course, at that time, in 1964... The word was not used too frequently, the UFO. It was uh, all flying saucers. You know, flying saucers was, was, was the main uh, terminology for, for these things. Right. And uh, so uh, that was in 1964. And so in, in, 
in uh, you know, uh, I have been studying and researching uh, this phenomena of UFOs uh, for since 1964. Man, that's uh, almost uh, you know. Many, many, many years. <laughs> yeah, almost. <laughs> uh, well, okay, so let's get back to Dulce here. Now, uh, you know, I'd read uh, an article online where um, you were saying, essentially you were saying it, it was as intriguing as Roswell, and um, so you've got a real shot at, at making this uh, into something viable for the public. I mean, it almost made it sound as though you kind of wanted to turn this into the next big tourist trap like a Roswell. Am I wrong in, in thinking? Well, is, that, is that part of the motive of this? Or? No, I think the... the uh, uh, I don't think uh, it's fair that Roswell be uh, placed in the most um, <laughs> significant uh, status in the history of ufology. Uh, yes, it's true. It all started in Roswell in 1947, but my belief is that the incident at Roswell, uh, my personal belief, was a staged event and a purpose crash uh, of whatever object it was, uh, physical or, uh, well, something that was made to appear to be physical, but uh, my belief is that the 1947 Roswell incident was a staged incident by whoever uh, whoever wanted that date to be a time marker for something that has been going on, a conditioning process that has been going on and is going towards some kind of a climax. But uh, Roswell is definitely interesting, but the only problem with Roswell is that it was a, well, it was significant in 1947, uh, but Dulce, New Mexico is more interesting because of the fact that uh, a community of that, that size in the entire United States, Dulce has the highest percentage of sightings per resident of any community in the United States. In fact, uh, during the height of the cattle mutilations and uh, uh, UFO sightings in uh, mid-1970s, uh, practically every resident of, uh, of uh, Dulce had experienced some kind of a sighting. So, uh, uh, And the fact is that uh, this small community, a population of today, about 2,600. But before, it was about uh, 3,000, actually. Uh, you know, uh, this is the uh, most interesting place because the action, uh, the incidents, are still going on. Uh, and uh, it has become, uh, uh, you know, an established fact uh, among the residents, they uh, they live with it every day. Their town has become associated with UFOs, extraterrestrials, and the allegation of underground bases. So uh, their town, entire town, has lived with this association. 
uh, off, uh, you know, with uh, these uh, uh, UFOs. And uh, this is, so this to me is meaningful. Uh, Area 51 has become a very, very popular, world famous uh, top secret base. But uh, most people, uh, with the exception of uh, ufologists and uh, UFO enthusiasts, has not heard about Dulce, New Mexico. Uh, and uh, Dulce, New Mexico, I believe, deserves more attention in this way uh, than Area 51. And there's a lot of mysteries uh, about Dulce, New Mexico. Uh, it's far more interesting uh, because uh, Area 51 is an established fact. Uh, it's there. It's a physical base that um, has, uh, you know, 700 individual uh, buildings. Uh, it's almost like a city. Uh, I've seen that entire base from a, a distance of, uh, you know, about five miles uh, back in 1993 and 1994 and 1992. Even I saw, I climbed the uh, Whitesides uh, Hill. Uh, close by to uh, Groom Lake, and, uh, and then the other Freedom Ridge I climbed several times. Uh, it, it was uh, not a climb, but it was a hike. Uh, you could see the uh, sprawling complex of Area 51, the Groom Lake complex, and uh, I've seen it with my own eyes. So that's a fact. There is a physical base called the Area 51 or an operating base, at Groom Lake, but uh, the problem with Dulce is that uh, there is yet to be a physical evidence that there is a physical base in Dulce. But yet, there are a lot of circumstantial, strange anecdotes as well as circumstantial, well, uh, well, I would say uh, evidences, uh, not physical, but circumstantial uh, items pointing to the fact that there is something there. Mm -hmm. And this is what brings Dulce into the area of mystery that still continues to this day. And so I am interested in Dulce because of this, but also because I now reside in the wonderful, amazing, mysterious state of New Mexico. New Mexico, I believe, is one of the most unique, uh, it's one of the most uh, mysterious uh, states in the entire United States. Hmm. Well, let's, um, l let me ask you this, and then I'll, and then I'll turn it over to Jeff here. Um, you got Greg Bishop speaking at your conference, and of course he famously, um, has poo-pooed all of this by by saying that Bill Moore, by illustrating that Bill Moore um, and uh, Richard Doty and you know various others uh, sort of planted this information to sort of drive a uh, scientist named Paul Benowitz crazy um, because he had happened upon some uh, military signals that he shouldn't have happened upon that that had nothing to do with aliens, but they sort of got him thinking it was aliens, and that all of this secret underground base. Mythos uh, stems from a disinformation campaign against Paul Benowitz. How do you, how are you going to react to that on Sunday? Well, you know, there is truth in in, in some of these matters, but uh, uh, 
the so-called underground base allegation of Dulce is simply that there is an underground base, but it may not necessarily uh, be related at all to aliens or extraterrestrials. The, the, we have to make a, a, this distinction between the allegation that there is an underground base and then also the allegation that there are alien entities involved in this. So, uh, you know, the, uh, as you mentioned, Paul Benowitz is a very, very important personality in this whole Dulce, so-called Dulce phenomenon. Uh, and we have to remember that Bill Moore and Richard Doty and others uh, in AFOSI, uh, Kirkland Air Force Base, Sandia Laboratory, and Phillips Laboratory, all in Albuquerque, uh, may have, uh, well, of course, uh, the belief is that they were part of the uh, operation to uh, brainwash Paul Benowitz uh, and give them, uh, give him uh, disinformation. But we have to remember that Paul Benowitz, uh, we still do not know everything about Paul Benowitz. He was a respect, respectable, highly respectable scientist and engineer. Uh, and I am certain that at one time he realized that he may have been a target of a concerted effort by the government to throw him off. And he could even have pretended that he was being given disinformation, but in the meantime, he may have conducted his own separate investigations pretending that he was duped. Uh, so there are still some unresolved uh, things about Paul Bennett, and secondly, uh, even though Bill Moore claimed that he was part of this uh, campaign, along with Richard Doty, that is Bill Moore's uh, words. That is uh, Richard Doty's words. Uh, the, uh, this um, uh, disinfo campaign uh, allegation itself is an allegation. So here's the, here's the thing, see. Uh, there, there may have been a manipulation on both sides, and uh, we cannot really say this is that, because Greg Bishop himself also, uh, contrary to a lot of people's opinion, Greg Bishop is uh, very open to the fact, to go to the possibility that there is something there, and also he's never said that there is absolutely nothing in Dolce. Uh, he is quite open to the possibility that in the mid-70s, some kind of uh, uh, the uh, uh, incidents may have been staged in the Dulce area as part of a PSYOPs program. And I am leaning towards that uh, interpretation that the government may indeed have operated in a clandestine manner some type of uh, biological warfare research 
using that uh, uh, Indian reservation uh, region uh, and may have experimented in some type of a bovine diseases uh, such as the what's known as mad cow diseases and use of anthrax and other substances as part of the uh, clandestine operation to conduct biological warfare programs. Uh, I am leaning towards that <coughs> uh, that uh, interpretation, but again, uh, the uh, I'm telling you that um, uh, no matter what Bill Moore says, it's just his statement. The, uh, the disinformation campaigns are all, you know, manipulation uh, techniques. And, uh, uh, you know, these are re really, it is difficult to produce any solid documentation uh, about all of this. So, uh, yeah, for, I, I, uh, it's possible that uh, we can believe uh, that Bill Moore was saying all this, but uh, the, the bottom line is that... Uh, there is a manipulation. There has always been manipulations, and uh, the one that appeared to have been manipulate, manipulated could have even counter-manipulated such disinformation tactics. And uh, this is a very complicated situation. Uh, the, the uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever the case may be, um, the New Mexico State patrol officer that I spoke to, uh, that I uh, talked uh, with, uh, he visited uh, me uh, a couple of months ago, <coughs> told me that he tends to uh, also believe that uh, the government may have staged some fake UFO-type incidents in the Archuleta Mesa area and then also Archuleta Mountain area nearby uh, as part of a psychological operations program to uh, create and concoct a story about underground alien bases uh, to conceal certain clandestine operations in those areas. Well, I mean, I think it needs the mentioning here that, um, you know, that Bennett was, was a physicist. I mean, we've said that, but uh, I think his company's name, Noria, wasn't it Thunder Scientific uh, Corporation? His company, his company is still a highly respected company. It's called, yes, Thunder Scientific, Thunder Scientific. Corporation, and it still exists right next to uh, Kirtland Air Force Base, near the gate right. of Kirtland Air Force Base, and it still uh, has contracts with Kirtland Air with Force Kirtland. Base, and right. his sons are operating the business, and it's a, it's a very good business. The yeah. only problem is to us is that the sons of Mr. Benowitz refuse to... Uh, to, to be involved in uh, this whole controversy. And, uh, you know, Paul Benowitz was a very, very highly intelligent uh, scientist. He did not have a doctorate uh, 
doctor's degree, but he did have a master's, and uh, uh, he was a specialist in uh, humidifiers for uh, military uh, use and, uh, you know, military-quality humidifiers. He was a, a pro in that, but uh, he was so intelligent, and he actually, he got a pilot's license uh, eventually, and he himself flew over uh, those many times. Huh. Uh, and uh, a person like that, uh, it's, uh, it's, to me, it is hard for me to believe that he was totally brainwashed into believing uh, that there is an underground base in Archulator Mesa. Uh, but it's my belief that he may have discovered something that he may have not told other people while pretending that he was, uh, you know, talking about aliens. Right. Uh, yeah, we we never know, but uh, yes, I believe that Paul Benowitz is the central figure in this entire Dulce controversy. Uh, the Project Beta is a very significant book. Uh, of course, uh, uh, there, there's a lot of things that I'm sure that is uh, well, uh, you know, what you know, what's in the book may not be totally hundred percent accurate. Uh, I doubt it, but. The uh, uh, Greg Bishop uh, came out with some very interesting, uh, you know, proposals that, uh, yeah, uh, the uh, clandestine operations uh, uh, may have been covered up uh, by uh, creating the Dulce controversy uh, and detracting attention away from scrutiny of certain clandestine operations by the government in the mid-70s involving uh, biological warfare research. Uh, and uh, again, the, the rancher that will speak on Sunday in Dulce will testify about this as well. As I mentioned, uh, his cattle were uh, mutilated. His whole family uh, were, did, uh, experienced uh, financial loss. You, you mentioned that to me privately. We weren't on the air. So why don't you uh, give us a little background on that, because that's actually really interesting. Yes. I know you're just repeating yourself from private conversations. Well, yes. Uh, I cannot, uh, of course, name this rancher, but uh, he uh, lived all his life in Dulce, and uh, uh, um, the family uh, lived uh, since the 1800s uh, in Dulce. And uh, uh, this whole family experienced... Uh, financial difficulty in the uh, uh, mid-70s due to the, uh, uh, you know, destruction of their cows. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, but the interesting thing is that this person, rancher, I cannot name him because he is, a, uh, you know, department head of, a, you know, agriculture department in a, in a well-known university in New Mexico, uh, and while he was growing up, uh, he, uh, you know, he, uh, he, he knew everything, actually, uh, when he was growing up. He knew a lot about cows, of course. That's what he did. And uh, anyway, in 1970, mid-1970s, uh, he began notice, uh, to notice that uh, uh, before cattle mutilation of a specific cow took place, uh, he he says that uh, there was a marking of that cow a few days before the actual cow cattle mutilation. He's convinced 
that there uh, he, he could see some kind of a uh, well, uh, you know, uh, phosphorus or translucent type of a uh, uh, marking on the cow before being uh, mutilated, and so he is convinced that it was the government's uh, way of tracking the cow that they were going to mutilate before it happened, two or three days before. Uh, this man will testify on Sunday in Dulce, and uh, he will show some interesting photos about, uh, well, some of these uh, markings and so on, and uh, he will also point to his conclusion that there is a facility there. He doesn't come up and say that there, this may be an underground biological laboratory, but he says there is a facility, and he will, on Sunday, he will, you know, point that out, and he will have a PowerPoint presentation, and I'm really excited about, about this uh, uh, gentleman that I got in touch with, and then also, uh, uh, as I mentioned to you, I uh, got to know uh, the former state patrol officer. Uh, who also came to the similar conclusion as mine, or uh, speculation actually, that uh, the government may have involved uh, itself in the clandestine biological research uh, programs using uh, bovine diseases as part of experiments. Uh, actually, uh, uh, the state patrol officer had a lot of photos of mutilated uh, uh, cows because he was right in the midst of that uh, uh, those incidents uh, while he was in charge of that area in, from 19 uh, well from mid 70s to uh, you know mid 80s uh, and he had some interesting photos of uh, mutilations of cows that uh, in which a substance that appeared to be like anthrax, a black uh, uh, substance clearly shown on part of the uh, various organs. Uh, but anyway, he, his belief is that the government did stage a series of fake UFO-type incidents using high-tech equipment, uh, such as possible holographic projection devices uh, from uh, helicopters, as well as other devices, uh, as well as actually uh, even uh, prototypes of uh, remotely controlled platforms, uh, presently known as UAVs. But uh, the UAV development uh, could have started at the... Uh, Manzano storage area and Coyote Canyon area, where Sandia Laboratory uh, has a very extensive, uh, you know, leading-edge programs. Uh, the UAV programs later on moved to Nevada in places like um, Indian Springs uh, Base uh, and uh, Air Force Base and uh, then most likely Area 51 in the, uh, after the mid-80s. So, you know, uh, as I mentioned to you, I'm really fortunate to be living in this 
fascinating state of New Mexico because New Mexico actually has the most advanced uh, uh, series of technologies assembled here, uh, the most advanced uh, uh, laboratories. Uh, and it was here in Albuquerque in 1945 that German scientists and German intelligence officers were stationed in 1945 in Albuquerque, right at the Kirtland Air Force Base. Uh, at that time, it wasn't called an Air Force Base, but uh, at Kirtland. Uh, they were stationed there in a program called Operation Paperclip, in which the U.S. brought these uh, scientists uh, to New Mexico, Albuquerque, and then, and then they were dispersed from Albuquerque to other locations, such as... Uh, well, Los Alamos and such as the uh, White Sands area in southern New Mexico and elsewhere. So significance is here in Albuquerque. Uh, as I mentioned, Sandia Laboratories and Phillips Laboratories uh, have their state-of-the-art uh, you know, research right here, uh, plus Los Alamos National Laboratory. So you know, New Mexico has a population of less than 2 million in fact, the entire state of New Mexico has a population of less than two million, and yet it's the fifth largest state in the U.S. after uh, Alaska, you know, Texas, uh, California, Montana, and, and then comes uh, uh, New Mexico, uh, and it's sparsely populated, and uh, there are lots of Native American. Uh, areas or Indian reservation areas in New Mexico, which makes it convenient for uh, many types of, uh, uh, you know, clandestine operations if they want to. But uh, the, my suspicion is that the government seemed to use Indian reservations area and to make deals with, uh, you know, uh, the the uh, reservation and uh, uh, you know compensate the uh, use of the land for possible clandestine operations. The, the same thing happened uh, in California in uh, the mid '80s in a place called Cabazon Indian Reservation, in which uh, the U.S. government uh, was said to have experimented on biological warfare program and also experiments on a uh, fuel air explosives and this became a, a scandal in uh, California uh, the government as I mentioned used the uh, Wackenhut corporation to you know make a deal and uh, operate this uh, operation in Cabazon and the uh, Cabazon uh, reservation was uh, really paid uh, uh, had some compensation for this and it became a huge scandal and uh, but there was uh, mishandling of uh, of the, uh, the money and so on, and there had been even murders related to the uh, Cabazon scandal. Uh, well, if you if you get uh, people you know really invigorated and in looking into whether there's a secret base in Dulce, um, and and you figure it out, and it, and it turns out that there is, what next? What's the point? What the, the next? <laughs> well. 
First of all, uh, it's my belief that uh, that this will never be found uh, <laughs> because ultimately, I believe that the reluctance of the Hikaria Apache Nation, as well as the reluctance of many Native American culture, involves around the the fact that. Uh, a lot of these, these topics may be intermingled with their beliefs system, their the cultural and spiritual beliefs. You know that uh, uh, the bulk of uh, Native American culture, uh, such as this in the Southwest, has a belief that uh, their ancestors came from below or uh, underground, actually. And uh, somehow, this whole uh, issue may be related to this, uh, you know, uh, the, in, the uh, inner thought and inner attachment to uh, their spiritual beliefs. And uh, by uh, creating a scientific association of their beliefs with the, uh, uh, you know, with technology, uh they may be a, it may be a hard thing to uh you know come up how to explain this this whole thing i i'm sure that you have a hard time understanding my position but you know the basic fact is this uh even though i have studied the so called ufo phenomenon for many many years since uh, uh, 1964 i have uh, visited a lot of places. I have talked to hundreds and hundreds of people. I have interviewed a lot of people. I've gone to South America. I've, you know, gone to uh, uh, many parts of the U.S. Uh, to uh, locations of uh, alleged incidents. But my conclusion is that the UFO phenomenon can never be solved uh, by the so-called empirical methodology. It's a phenomena which I think uh, delves into a uh, reality issue. And this is the reason why uh, about uh, you know, 25 years ago, I came to the uh, belief that the uh, UFO phenomena uh, deals not necessarily with physical uh, but uh, it could involve non-physical elements. And this is exactly what Jack Vallee came to as a conclusion already in, in, during the 70s. And well, yeah, in fact... You're uh, on the right I, show. I knew, yeah, you're, you're on the right show for that. And I knew I knew that you were a Vallee fan, and, and that's why it's kind of confounding to me that, that you're doing this conference, which is essentially... About nuts and bolts, there's a base, yes. there might be this, aliens in it, exactly, and you don't believe that. This is exactly my point, is that to bring out the physical nuts and bolts situation first and lay everything down the line, and then we will go into the other alternative or alternate reality. That, that is my main goal of this conference. I see. So you're, so you're like, you're like the, uh, you're going to trap them. By speaking their language, and then you're going to hit them with the higher education. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know that that is my point, and uh, because 
my conclusion is that uh, just like John Keel uh, and Valet uh, came to the same similar conclusion that uh, uh, there's more than what we can see with our eyes, physical eyes, to the question of reality. And uh, uh, on the other hand, if we only consider the physical aspects of everything, uh, yes, then most likely it'll be difficult to find a physical base there. But uh, we're going to, into the possibility in that conference that, uh, that that entire area has some inexplicable interdimensional phenomena uh, going on in that area. But the uh, biggest mystery is that uh, the government may have come to that similar conclusion and may have uh, manipulated the people uh, with uh, high-tech equipment to simulate what may appear to be a non-physical or mysterious phenomenon. So that, that's the dilemma of the government. I, in my opinion, the government cannot explain the UFO phenomena, and it can only uh, deal with the physical uh, nature uh, of their, you know, explanation. And uh, uh, the mystery about the entire area of uh, Dulce may even involve... Uh, may even involve uh, the religious aspects. The area northwest, I mean north uh, uh, western area of New Mexico has a long history of strange occurrences uh, that uh, extending from all the way from Farmington to Aztec and then even to Dulce area, and then extending into southern Colorado. This whole area, beginning with the Four Corners area, and then moving on to the east towards Dulce, and then further north to the Colorado area, is, has known to be one of the most prolific areas of strange sightings of strange, uh, well, uh, you know, strange lights and objects in the sky, uh, especially after 90, 1945, but even before then. No, and, yeah. Uh, uh, it, yes. In the, um, I mean, going, you know, pre-Benowitz era with Dulce, uh, we did, you know, we did have cattle mutilations in that area, and there were also... UFO reports in that area, what would you say, in your opinion, is probably one of the most interesting ufological reports out of that area pre-Benowitz? Well, there were many incidents, but here's the thing. Uh, my uh, greatest interest in the Four Corners area and then the area nearby there uh, is the, uh, the Farmington incident of 1950. This is something that uh, most Americans have practically not heard about uh, because uh, this happened in 1950. In 1950, uh, in a, over the town of Farmington, uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, you know residents saw in a broad daylight silverish uh, balls uh, maneuvering in the sky and it was in the number the number was possibly about 300 to 400 objects uh, 
And this is just absolutely fantastic and and hard to believe, but this was a fact that this happened in 1950 in Farmington, New Mexico, for three days, from 11 a.m. to noon every day, on uh, beginning with March 17th, uh, St. Patrick's Day, 1950. And uh, even to this day, there are eyewitnesses that uh, can tell you about the, what they saw uh, in the sky, uh, the, in the broad daylight. In fact, I interviewed a gentleman uh, a couple of years ago in Farmington at a senior center who testified to me that, yes, he did uh, see hundreds. We're not talking about 10 or 20, just right. hundreds, uh, 300, 400, and up to 500 uh, strange metallic silverish balls uh, objects maneuvering high up in the sky uh, and uh, this was reported in Farmington Daily Times in 1950 and was uh, uh, you know sent out in the news wires uh, but uh, remember that in 1950 uh, well you know uh, most people have even forgot about uh, Roswell in right. fact, uh, let me tell you that the Roswell uh, incident became uh, popular or known to the public very, very late in 1981. Uh, until 1981, when Charles Berlitz and William Moore came out with the Roswell incident book, hardly anybody in the U.S. had an interest in the Roswell story because it was largely forgotten. Uh, in 19, by 1948, uh, because of the Army's, uh, retraction, uh, you know, in 1948, about 1947 Roswell incident. But, uh, uh, you know, people also need to remember that in NASDAQ in 1948, there was an alleged uh, crash, but uh, this was hardly noticed because, as I said, the idea of the Roswell uh, was uh, you know erased from memory, from the people's mind uh, by uh, 1948, 1949, and so on, until 1981 when uh, you know the Roswell book came out, and uh, that's when so, it gained uh, its mythical proportions at that point, and and basically took all of the uh, the attention. Yes, uh, that, for that point. That, that that's true. And then uh, let me w say one more thing about. Uh, the reason I am having this conference is to uh, to uh, declare that there may not be any physical underground biological laboratory, joint U.S.-alien uh, joint biological laboratory under Archuleta Mesa, uh, but this does not mean that that area has a strange, mysterious, interdimensional opening in the area, and uh, that, that's my second point in the Dulce Conference, and uh, there is a scientist who will come and show some interesting satellite photos of some buildings in Dulce uh, that, you know, some of the building designs almost huh? resemble a Central American type of uh, uh, design, and in one building... There seems to be some kind of a, 
you know, a Mesoamerican deity uh, that you can see, clearly see, uh, over the building, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, seeming to point to uh, an, an area in southern Colorado, which is very strange. There are some strange-looking uh, uh, areas that are not lakes or nor, uh, you know, uh, other things, but uh, uh, blackened out. There are about 20 to 30 of these areas between uh, the Dulce area and uh, uh, the Colorado, towards Colorado. But uh, one interesting aspect is this. <clears throat> uh, the... Uh, uh, the entire area is fascinating because even the word Aztec, uh, you know, the town of Aztec, why did they come up with this name? Uh, you know, and then there's a, a place called Toltec in uh, near Dulce, or, uh, near Chama, which is not too far from Dulce. There's a place called Toltec. That's a Central American, uh, you know, civilization name. And the Aztec is, of course, you know, the uh, the Central American, uh, uh, you know, civilization. And the Aztecs believed in uh, a deity called uh, Quetzalcoatl. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, uh, there are a lot of people who believe in the uh, Quetzalcoatl, uh, you know, entity that he will return around the year 2012. In fact, uh, there is an author, I'm sure you know about him, uh, called Tom Horn, who wrote a book about uh, uh, this. Uh, he came out with a statement that the alleged location of the crash in Roswell lies exactly on the 33.33 33 .33 degrees uh, the uh, <coughs> uh, latitude or uh, that area, which is exactly 2,012 miles from the equator. Huh, right. So, uh, uh, you know, there are some people who connect these things and uh, speculate that the Dulce area uh, may have uh, some kind of uh, occultic association or uh, uh, some kind of occultic... Uh, uh, a pr presence, and well, that there may be some interdimensional portals around or near Dulce, New Mexico. Sonorio, uh, as, as as long as you've um, as long as you've been involved with ufology, uh, and you've been uh, obviously to a lot of different places, a lot of different hotspots. I'm assuming probably uh, have you been to Gulf Breeze, Florida, and uh, no, uh, no, not well, those areas. Any place that, that you've been before, um, do you see any connectivity with, with these hotspots in the way of uh, geological similarities or, you know, anything like that that might, might point to some other sort of clue? Well, actually, uh, I have a belief that the desert lands are the most ideal location for many uh, purposes uh, and uh, the desert areas I believe have more uh, possible uh, you know uh, 
uh, you know, high strangeness, which I call. But uh, maybe this may be one of the reasons why the U.S. government has always used the American Southwest in the desert region to set up, uh, uh, you know, leading-edge military technologies. Uh, because, uh, as you know, uh, the New Mexico, uh, we're talking about some leading-edge technologies existing in the, the Southwest. Uh, you know, as I mentioned to you, the Sandia Corporation of Albuquerque, the Manzano Storage Area of Albuquerque, Los Alamos, and if you go to Arizona, there is a very uh, fascinating uh, test range uh, called Yuma Proving Grounds, and then there is a, a strange operating location between Tucson and Phoenix called Marana uh, Facility, where they uh, train uh, personnel for uh, clandestine operations there uh, with uh, uh, new type of helicopters and so on. But uh, if you go to, uh, of course, Utah, there is a, a very uh, advanced, uh, you know, proving grounds called, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the Utah's uh, <coughs> Dugway proving grounds. Uh, they, they, and then in the California, the, the uh, Southern California's desert areas, uh, north of Los Angeles, the Antelope Valley area, you have the Air Force Plant 42, and you have a, a whole bunch of uh, aerospace uh, uh, programs and uh, even secret radar, uh, you know, testing areas. Uh, and many of these uh, places are in the desert area. So there's something about the desert that is unique. Uh, Maybe. Lots of space. <laughs> they're, they're underpopulated. That that that's true for sure. But you know, it's uh, uh, it, it seems that uh, yeah, they uh, uh, of course uh, it's an ideal place to test a lot of things. Uh, so, but going back to the uh, uh, problem of why this is such a difficult thing to really research is the. Uh, the uh, you know possible intertwining of both the physical reality and the non-physical reality. Uh, so you know, uh, my point is this: that the physical uh, underground laboratory may not exist. But well, let, let me ask you something yeah. here. You, you said that you've met Bob Lazar, and and uh, so how, how do you perceive him given this outlook? Do you think that he is any of the things that he claims to be? Do you think that he really did work on UFOs in some underground base? Well, Did you get the sense that he was telling you the truth when you met him? Well, uh, when I met Bob Lazar in 1990 at his, at his house with a Nippon television crew, we interviewed him for three to four hours. And uh, there were uh, about seven, well, about five men who Bob Lazar said were his friends, but uh, their reactions was very mysterious because uh, while we were interviewing Mr. Lazar at his residence, uh, they always were two persons that uh, sat near him. And wherever Bob Lazar moved or went to, such as going to the uh, kitchen or while we were interviewing, and th these two men walked with him, and uh, that to me was very interesting, and, and one of the men, 
uh, I saw with my eyes had some kind of a black uh, device, uh, in like a, it, it was, this was in 1990, and uh, it was not the old type of uh, cell phone, but it was different. It was some kind of communication uh, equipment. And uh, I, I, we were surprised. And every time Bob Lazar moved from the couch and then go to his office to, you know, uh, point something out, these two men accompanied him uh, while he walked. And this went on throughout the interview, and uh, we uh, asked him who these people were, and uh, Bob Lazar said, don't worry, uh, they are uh, just my friends. But uh, there was some strangeness about that incident, uh, but I am convinced that Bob Lazar uh, knows what he's talking about. In fact, he still continues to uh, have partial contracts with defense contractors uh, through his, uh, you know, company, the United Nuclear. And the United Nuclear uh, was in Albuquerque up till uh, last year. The Bob Lazar lived here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, behind the Sandia Mountains, and he had his uh, United Nuclear uh, Laboratory or company. And uh, occasionally, it's my understanding that he still... Uh, did some work for uh, some defense uh, companies and uh, Department of, uh, uh, you know, Navy indirectly and so on. Uh, but uh, he moved his operations uh, just last year in uh, May to Michigan. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, my basic conclusion is this, that I still think that there is something about Mr. Lazar uh, and, um, you know, many people in the ufological community uh, put down uh, Bob Lazar as a, as a charlatan or, you know, he, he was just a, uh, you know, a fake or things like that. But uh, uh, I still think that Bob Lazar had a purpose and that he was uh, definitely part of this entire uh, you know, uh, thing, this entire conditioning process that I believe has been going on and is leading towards something uh, in the very, very near future. He played a role, and uh, just like George Knapp, uh, George Knapp is one of the only persons uh, that still clings to the Bob Lazar story. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll, be, we'll have uh, the first time ever Area 51 conference in August in Las Vegas. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, George Knapp will speak over there. Uh, I will also speak over there. But George Knapp is one of the only last, you know, uh, big name that still supports the claims of Bob Lazar. And uh, to me, uh, yes, I cannot disclaim, discredit Bob Lazar or just uh, categorize Bob Lazar as just uh, a charlatan. I think okay. there's more to it. Uh, do, you, do you possibly see Bob as uh, an intentional leak, uh, not to leak anything of a 
you know, uh, of an alien nature to to the world, but to leak a story to the world um, that basically would have had, just say, for instance, the Russians chasing flying saucers that we may or may not have while we're actually doing something else uh, at yeah, Area 51. It, yeah, I, I, I tend to uh, lean toward that direction, that there was a purpose in Rob Lowe's art uh, story, and uh, here's my whole take on this. It is my belief that uh, as a, you know, student of ufology for many, many years, my conclusion, as I mentioned to you uh, earlier, is that there is a conditioning system uh, that is conditioning us to believe in the extraterrestrial presence uh, on purpose. Uh, for what reason? Uh, I am just, uh, uh, you know, reluctant to go into this matter because it, it may involve religion and a belief system, but uh, there has been a conditioning process to step by step to, uh, to uh, uh, the, uh, make the populace into accepting the belief in uh, extraterrestrial entities and their, uh, you know, alleged visitation uh, in our in this time period of history after World War II. Uh, for what purpose? I still I'm not sure. It's part of a uh, well, I wouldn't say a brainwashing system, but uh, a conditioning system that will lead up to. Uh, eventual uh, point of time in history where the belief in aliens may play a very important role in expediting some kind of a, well, some kind of a event, whether it's going to be staged on purpose or not. I, I'm reluctant to go further, but I think that... Uh, but if you had to go further, would you... <laughs> Well, I, I hate I mean, to... There's no better show to go further on than this one, believe me. Yeah, this yeah. is it. I, this, this is the reason why I hate to really uh, come out with a dogmatic statement because we basically don't really understand what reality is and uh, we have a tendency to think only in linear terms. We only have a tendency to think that, uh, for example, the Roswell crash of an alien craft cra crashed there uh, uh, accidentally. Uh, but uh, that's because we tend to think in linear terms and we tend to think in empirical uh, thinking. And uh, uh, there is no need for anything, in my mind, for anything to crash uh, if the, if, it, if, the, if it originates from uh, an intelligence higher than us, uh, the only way that something would crash is that it was staged and purposely crashed to, uh, uh, to uh, you know, uh, bring out a point or to begin the process of, uh, uh, you know, you know um, brainwash us into the belief uh, that uh, the uh, these intelligences, uh, you know, are uh, using uh, what I call, uh, you know, uh, nuts and bolts uh, technology, just like us. So we we humans tend to think in 
this nuts and bolts uh, type of a thinking, and only in linear terms, for example, like going from one place to other uh, in a linear term, you know, but... Uh, uh, well, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, Jeff and I uh, toy with the idea, well, we don't toy, we, we sort of slam people over the heads with the idea that um, part of this um, on whatever these beings part is or this intelligence part is, that it needs us to perceive it for it to be here in some way. Um, if something like that is true or, or something like what you're saying uh, is true or, or some combination then would our government actually be the good guys in this scenario in trying to block out whatever this presence is as opposed to, you know, coming out and saying, yeah, aliens are here or, or any of that stuff? Could all of the shenanigans really be them protecting the status quo because the alternative is some sort of un- unleashed hell, <laughs> at least in terms of how, you know, we generally view reality? Well, you know, I think uh, this is a very interesting s- subject matter, but... You know, I think, uh, as I mentioned to you, the government uh, will not know the ultimate truth because it's uh, it's something that is uh, uh, so mysterious. But uh, uh, there may be some uh, groups of people who know about this and that uh, they may manipulate this kind of beliefs or this kind of situation uh, for their own purposes. Uh, but, you know, the, uh, just like the government may have manipulated and may continue to manipulate the concept of Area 51 and the concept of Dulce underground base uh, to use it in a future, uh, you know, series of possible staged events. But uh, th- this itself uh, could be uh, some kind of a, you know, uh, uh, manip- manipulative operation. You know, that some of the things that I'm going to discuss uh, in a dulce form, and I will let the residents come out with, uh, is that uh, in a dulce area, there has been, uh, I believe, that uh, some kind of, a, uh, you know, uh, the health problems due to uh, radiation, and uh, it's uh, becoming well known that uh, that area of those and that these nearby areas have a high rate of uh, you know infertility among uh, you know uh, women, uh, and uh, you know the town of Dulce had a lot of more population before. But uh, now it only has 2,600. Many of the Dolce young people have moved out of Dolce. Uh, and uh, it's very interesting that, uh, you know, there's, there are brand new buildings over there being constructed and new school buildings and uh, medical emergency buildings uh, uh, over there. But yet, uh, you know, you don't see too many students there. Uh, for a town of, you know, but less than 2,600, it seems very, very interesting that there are these uh, high number of, uh, you know, interesting model-looking buildings. Uh, And, uh, you know, my concern, going back to my initial, uh, the topic of Dulce, is that, yes, the the, the Dulce area may have something that uh, the leaders may not want to talk about, uh, which may possibly involve uh, these 
environmental issues. Uh, there are allegations that toxic toxic chemicals and uh, other biohazardous materials are being stored illegally in the nearby areas, uh, and so on. There are lots of allegations, uh, but uh, uh, the uh, this whole thing is that uh, it's a convenient place if any kind of a governmental uh, uh, clandestine uh, programs are conducted. Uh, it's an ideal place because there are, you know, vestiges of tunnels in the Archuleta Mesa because uh, originally that mesa uh, had a mining operation. And uh, initially, the Los Alamos National Laboratory, uh, back in 1945, uh, had a plan to hollow out some of these mesas and to, to dump, uh, you know, nuclear material, waste uh, products. Uh, and on top of it, a strange thing happened in 1967 uh, in which the U.S. government exploded an underground atomic uh, explosion uh, about 22 miles south of Dulce in 1967. Uh, and that may have created some effect in that area. Uh, but, uh, you know, all of these uh, things that could have, uh, uh, you know, indirect uh, relation to the uh, possible uh, environmental as well as physical issues in that entire area. Uh, but, this, again, this whole uh, location is not only convenient, but uh, it's also a location of uh, ancient beliefs of uh, Native Americans, and, uh, uh, you know, it's an ideal place, region of the United States, it's an ideal region to experiment on things or to bring in certain ideas, uh, you know, uh, for manipulative devices or manipulative, uh, uh, you know, operations like PSYOPs programs. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the, the difficulty is that Perhaps everything is involved in that area. There could be uh, unknown interdimensional uh, phenomena involved at the same time in that location, coincidentally or not. Uh, they may I mean, some of the stories seem to make sense to me in what you're saying about the, the, the toxicity of, of whatever or whomever may be working with out there, much like at Area 51 where they determined that you know, these guys were disposing of highly noxious yeah. stuff out there with uh, with little concern for environmental issues at the time. And I noticed that the big pattern with the Dulce stories that you hear, uh, and where some of these come from, I don't have any idea. But, I mean, you're, you're talking about uh, uh, Dulce being synonymous with uh, uh, a joint alien U.S. military thing where they, you know, Traded permission, you know, to to engage in human and animal mutilations and that kind of thing. You've even got, um, uh, and I don't know where this originates except for on our lovely internet. But you've also got a place that's been well known uh, in storytelling for you know, like horrific genetic experiments uh, yeah. in the lower levels and Nightmare that, Hall and all of that. that, that if you want to keep people been... away, I'm not going up there to poke around, I can tell you that. You know? Exactly, and the very interesting thing is that it's very close to the Los Alamos National Laboratory, which mm -hmm. is the world's leading-edge research 
Center for Human Genome uh, Projects and Experiments in DNA uh, mm. Studies. It's uh, from Los Alamos to Dulce is, is less than, you know, uh, 60 miles. And, uh, uh, you know, there are allegations that there are underground connection between Los Alamos all the way up to Dulce, but, uh, you know, this kind of a thing also seemed to coincidentally, uh, you know, come across in the concept of Dulce because it's very uh, close to Los Alamos. And, uh, you know, they, 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 this is the reason why uh, I'm having this conference. Again, this is one of the uh, other reasons is really we would like the people to come out with what they know without fear. Mm -hmm. uh, the person that I was talking about before uh, actually works in a, a, a laboratory that I don't want to mention, <laughs> but uh, this is the reason why uh, I, uh, my belief is that uh, there shouldn't be any cover-ups. Whatever it is, I want the uh, this whole dosi base allegation or whatever, the dosi base controversy to actually uh, produce uh, uh, just, um, you know, honesty and for people or those in the leadership of that area or those nearby areas or uh, the government or, or law enforcement officials and others to come out clean and say out, uh, say clearly what's going on. And that is the whole purpose, and I'm really excited uh, Sunday uh, because uh, I think that, uh, yeah, some people will come out with possible uh, interesting information. Uh, and as I mentioned, a couple of former police officers uh, said they will be there. Uh, uh, and then a rancher will be there. Uh, he will give some interesting information, plus uh, local Hikari Apache Nation people will be there. Uh, so this is the first time uh, to to have this thing, and I was really afraid in December when I conceived of this to have this public forum right in the middle of the town of mystery, and nobody has done that before because uh, in Area 51, yes, in 1998, I did organize a, a huge people's rally in 1998 at the perimeter of Area 51, in which 250 people came. And uh, uh, there was no immediate result, but uh, our purpose in having the Area 51 rally in 1998 was to have the government come out and say that there is an operating base uh, at Groom Lake. And then uh, our purpose was also to let the government know that the guard shack that is at Area 51 on the uh, Groom Lake Road should be placed at the perimeter area where it should belong, not inside, uh, because if you go to the Godshack, you're arrested there already. So right. this, is, uh, this is ridiculous. And then our uh, demand was for the government to place a clear, uh, clearly constructed fence along the border instead of, uh, you know, uh, red, red uh, uh, you know, poles. Uh, they have a lot of money. Uh, why don't they do it? But anyway, and then the other demand at the Area 51 People's Rally in 1998 was for the government to compensate the uh, 
the workers who got sick while uh, they got in touch with a chemical substance while working on stealth technology uh, and so on, you know, uh, stealth programs at Area 51. So uh, the immediate result uh, didn't come out. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, seven years later after the rally, the, fam- uh, the government admit that there is a, a base uh, at Groom Lake. Uh, and then last uh, a year and a half ago, the government finally began the process to compensate the former workers of Area 51 who had contracted uh, the serious disease uh, and uh, because of the you know chemical uh, toxic chemical materials, and they finally began the compensation process. And this was only a year and a half ago. So you know, activism like this, I think, is good. Is good. It will produce some some results. But uh, when it comes to Dolce, it may be a little difficult. But at least we're going to take the first step uh, this Sunday, as I said. Well, give us a little information where where people you know a website or uh, you know. Well, actually, yes, actually, well, uh, at this late time, I don't know how many people, the listeners, will be able to get to uh, Dulce, but uh, it's on Sunday. Okay, you still have time, but uh, it's going to be held in Dulce, New Mexico, at Best Western Hikaria Inn, and uh, the the, uh, the there's an admission of five dollars. It's not a money-making, a beautiful conference-type thing. Uh, it, it's it's a real public forum and real uh, conference and meeting. So there's only a five-dollar charge for the admission, uh, and it starts from 10 a.m. and it, it will go on till 5 p.m. And uh, you can get this information on the Dulce-based conference simply by just doing. Uh, Google search uh, or Yahoo search and type up Dulce Base Conference, and there will be many, many links with articles and information. And of course, uh, you can also go to my uh, MySpace website, which is uh, myspace.com/slash. Norio Hayakawa, just as it sounds, N-O-R-I-O-H-A-Y-A-K-A, myspace.com slash Norio Hayakawa, and in my white... I think you forgot a W-A on there. Yes, (laughs) that's right, yeah, Uh, that's right. But anyway, if you go to my MySpace uh, page, there are lots of information on relevant topics, not only about the Dulce Conference, but uh, there's an information about the upcoming Area 51 Conference, uh, and then uh, there are other interesting links to other items uh, on uh, the uh, MySpace page of mine. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> you know, Jer- Jeremy and Jeff, uh, you know, it's really uh, my pleasure to have talked to you, and I sure appreciate so much your uh, invitation to come uh, on your forum to discuss a few things. It's impossible to, uh, to, 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 to say everything in such a short time, but the uh, basic idea is the same, that uh, I am into this because I want to know the truth myself, <laughs> and uh, I want uh, 
everything to come out clean and open. And I don't believe in secrecy, uh, you know, unless it's uh, it's something that uh, you know uh, that has to be kept secret, sort of like uh, private information and so on. And but uh, I believe in open policy. Uh, this is the reason why why I I am allowing every person who comes to uh, to the conference to the event to freely record this entire uh, conference and public great. forum. Mm-hmm. That's yes. great. That's wonderful. Well, yeah, we certainly agree with you on that, and thank you very much for coming on the yeah. show. And uh, yes. yeah, yeah, thank I, you. I can't so wait to hear much. how the turnout is. Yeah. Yes, I will try to report uh, later on after the event is finished. Excellent. That's great. Okay, thank you so much, and uh, take care. Thank you. Y'all. You too. Okay. Bye now. Bye. I've got to pee. I have to get my ice cream. Okay. <laughs> I'll meet you back. <laughs> Mississippi, down through New Orleans. Yes, I have. I played in California, where ain't you much I haven't seen. Forever rambling man, don't fool around with rambling man. Left a girl in West Virginia. Up where that green grass grows Oh girl Got a girl in Cincinnati Way where the Ohio River flows Well I'm a rambling man Don't keep your heart to a rambling man You better move away Standing too close to the plane Sermons with your mind, your little heart won't be the same. Forever rambling man, don't mess around with any old rambling man. Well, I've been Chicago. I was known as quite a boy Yes, I was Down in Alabama They called me the man of joy Yes, they still do Well, I'm a rambling man Don't fall in love with a rambling man You better move away Standing too close to the plane With your mind, your little heart won't be the same. For I'm a rambling man, don't mess around with any old rambling man. Yes, I'm a rambling man. Jeffy, that Norio, he's a bit of a talker, and, and that works out well for me because my my voice is hoarse and I'm feeling under the weather. And I'm eating ice cream. <clears throat> you know, 
I just for today's show, I went out and I bought this. Uh, it's a brand new comic book, the very first one called Groom Lake. Ah. And uh, they have cleverly disguised characters such as Roberta Lazar. <laughs> yeah. So good to see someone's making some money off this. Right. You know. I I was um. I was worried that this was going to be a bit of a train wreck, but then at around the forty-minute mark, it, it sort of like a like a mystery yarn, like a good novel. It just sort of took a turn. Uh-huh. It's like all of a sudden, wait a minute, this guy isn't into underground bases. Mm-hmm. He's into Jacques Vallée, and he knows that the only way to get that to the public is through their hearts and minds. Right. Well, I mean, let's not forget that <laughs> that Norio came to us, or or we went to him because we had I don't know three or four. Listeners request him um, as somebody that they'd like to, to hear talk, and uh, and so we wrote him, and he eagerly accepted our invitation to come on. So I think we should have him back to talk about the deeper aspects of the subject that maybe he didn't want to get too into in this episode because he was focusing on his conference and right. and, and the activism around Dulce and Area Fifty One and those places. Um, I mean, I'll say for my money. Uh, I, I'm not about open policy with when it comes to stuff that goes on at those bases because, frankly, um, uh, I, I think there are some things that are that need to be kept quiet for the sake of, uh, and, and, dare I say, national security. <laughs> if you if you don't honestly think that there are alien UFOs and handshake deals and all that, as he presumably does not, then why would you want those bases to be public? Although I guess you could make the argument that, for instance, those workers that he talked about who were irradiated. Exactly. I had read about them ages ago because they were part of Project Censored's, uh, like, top 20 stories that mm-hmm. didn't make the news. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I find it amazing. I didn't realize the follow-up that, that he said about a year, year and a half ago that the, that the military has started to compensate them. They they didn't have to. Both Clinton, uh, you know, basically Clinton wrote to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court agreed that they didn't have to acknowledge anything because the base officially doesn't exist, right. even though they admitted it existed officially. Right. It doesn't exist, and so they don't have to give anything. So the big, bad, evil military is compensating people anyway. That's that's interesting. Yeah, me. yeah. I mean, it's... Um, and I think if there is anything going on with Dulce, it's... Um, you know, it could be that there are... Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily... You know, buy the whole thing about um, that the, uh, the you know the Southwest area of the United States is just a is a mystical place. I think it is a mystical place. Don't get me wrong. I think it is a very interesting place, and I've been all over it. And uh, uh, it, it is a fascinating place. But I think the reason for uh, a lot of military bases, a lot of testing, you know, it's because there's a lot of space. There's a lot of space where you can hide things. Um, that people can't go, and uh, and therefore you you can have a bit of uh, you know autonomy about what you're doing. You don't have to ask anybody's permission to blow up something out there because there's no one around. The other thing is uh, that if you're going to have a place that's going to uh, where you're going to have things dumped, just say for instance, excuse me, uh, Los Alamos. Uh, say is generating some kind of waste that has to be disposed of, and you find some very secluded, uh, you know, zero population area, uh, and you start dumping there. 
hey, you're going to make a story to keep people away from there because you don't necessarily want them knowing you're dumping stuff there, but let's make a story that we've got underground bases. In fact, let's go do this and that to kind of generate this buzz and come up with a story that makes people stay away, kind of like people being abducted and thrown into large vats of acid, you know, stuff like that. Um, You know, the Nightmare Hall and... Well, there is something just generally mystical about the desert in that if you've ever been in the desert, I mean, I can't imagine being alone in the desert. It, it's got to be like a, a sensory deprivation chamber, you know? You might as well be meditating um, and in a sensory deprivation chamber, you know? It's just vast and quiet. Um, um, yeah. So there's that, and i, I got to think that, that that affects you in some way if you're, not, if you're not used to that as far as, you know, whatever, mystical qualities. But what's interesting is when I met with the... Um, representatives of the Kogi, and they were asking for some sort of, you know, sacred or not sacred, but ancient site around New York, I'd said, you know, I don't know, but hey, what about Sedona? Isn't that where everyone goes? You know, and the uh, the guy rolled his eyes at me and was like, you know, listen, that place, <clears throat> shaman, don't go near that place. Huh. Because it's been so corrupted by flaky, new-agey crap huh. that it's, it's a joke. It's not actually... There's nothing magical about it. It's a joke to people who, you know, know better, essentially. Wow. I thought that was interesting. Hmm. I think the desert, uh, you know, you, you talk about it being deprivative uh, as far as, you know, uh, input from what you're seeing. I mean, I can tell you, being out in the middle of the desert, I was out in uh, uh, the Painted Desert area of New Mexico and, uh, well, hell, even the Grand Canyon. Uh you're right, pitch black, you can't see your hand in front of your face, except if it's a clear night. But if it's a clear night, I mean, if anybody listening who hasn't been to the American Southwest, first of all, go. Number two, uh, if you live in, you know, suburban Connecticut or Baltimore or uh, or Austin, Texas or what, you don't know what a sky looks like. None of us do until you go there. And you see what a sky you know what? looks like. When, when I said sensory deprivation, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't even said. I wasn't even thinking visually. I was thinking my my time that I went to just Pyramid Lake, uh-huh. and it was so not only quiet, but I mean, you could yell, and it wasn't even an echo. It was almost like an anti-echo. It was, really weird. <laughs> yeah. it, it was like you're, the air gets sucked <laughs> yes. out of you and thrown back at you. I mean, very strange. Uh, yeah. And it just seems like if you have no sound, if you have just complete stillness. Yeah. Uh, that that affects you. Yeah, just the vastness of it all is amazing. It's an amazing place, and I eventually want to move out to Phoenix at some point in my life, but it's beautiful. I mean, I, I love the desert. The end. <laughs> I'm just too busy eating ice cream. Yeah, I know, I hear. We all hear you. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, uh, I'm no stranger to that, believe me. Well, I mean, I think... Um, I think we, like I said, we should definitely have him back because uh, I think he's got a hell of a lot to say when it comes to the UFO phenomena in general, um, and, um, and 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 I'd like to hear what he thinks because I, I don't, like I said, I don't think he wanted to go into that so much this go around, but I get the sense that we have a lot to talk to him about. I hope so because um, this to me sounded like a lot of places and dates and. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't really get the sense that a lot was said. A lot of words were thrown around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know that a lot was really said. Mm-hmm. And then and then the tantalizing stuff was just sort of nibbled at, but not really. Right. Wasn't, wasn't the main course. So, um, so yeah, I, I guess it would be nice to have him on again and 
flush some of those larger things out. On the other hand, I'm skeptical that, that we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Farmington stuff, we'll always have Farmington. You know? <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I think you could, I think you could probably have a, you know, a pretty deep conversation, uh, you know, in the, in the valetism category of things with him. I think that, uh, you know, I, 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 although you, you wonder when you get into a conversation with somebody like that, if they're just going to say, well, it's going to be one of those things we're never going to know because <laughs> we just don't get reality. Um, we, we know that part, but let's talk about more about the mechanism of how. Well, yeah, I got a feeling he's got his own hypothesis. About Absolutely. Didn't, didn't want to throw it out there just yet. Absolutely. We'll drag it out of him. Yeah. Well, he was a little concerned. It sounded like he was like, this gets into religious aspects, and I don't like to get into that. Well, when he comes back, he's getting into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what's going on with you? <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. Um, what's going on with me? Nothing. I just, I went for a walk in the woods a couple of days ago. I, I discovered, well, I didn't, you know, it's been there, so I didn't discover it, but there's this horse trail behind my house, and I ended up following it for a little while, and then a little while turned into that moment of decision where you realize you walked way too long, uh-huh. and so it doesn't even matter if you turn around at this point. <laughs> like, you might as well just camp out right where you are. Uh, but I, so I decided that I would sort of circle back and, and, uh, cut across and cut some corners and all of that. And, and I ended up, uh, I think in actual Jamaica, I think I ended up on the Island of Jamaica, (laughs) but I at least ended up in Jamaica Plains, Queens, which is hell and gone from where I actually live. And then I found a train and took it home. (laughs) Uh, and as a result, the next day I woke up and I had this sore throat, which has turned into an illness. Oh, I don't God. know what the deal is. Well, yeah. you know, there's this guy who would tell you that walking in the woods may not be the best thing to do. I think his name is Streber. <laughs> yeah, you know, and my arm hurts in a weird place, too. But there's no mark, were, so that's good. got a no, shot. Right, there, was, there, was, there was none of that. <laughs> none of those shenanigans. Huh. Uh, here at Peritopia. Right, that's it, Paratopia. Right. If I just keep saying that at the end of everything, it's like we never break the fourth wall. Well. Except when we do. Well. Um, and what else is going on? I don't know. Uh, nothing really. Oh, actually, here's something. Uh, you you have not told us, um, well, you told me, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, about uh, a, a certain visitor that you had. <laughs> yeah. Young Jeffrey, is, is this something that you'd like to share with us? I guess it, everybody thinks I'm insane anyway, so what difference does it make? Yeah. Um, and by the way, Jeff, I've tried. You can't eat away the pain. <laughs> I just made myself a Pepsi float when you rang and said, hey, it's time to do the interview. I put it in the freezer and all the Pepsi froze. It's really good. <laughs> um, yeah. So what was was that last week? Week before? Uh, yes. Uh, right. I was uh, in my living room, and I was sitting in uh, in my chair, which is usually Jeremy's chair when he's here. And um, it's a uh, kind of a big leather, um, I don't know, ball and claw footed recliner. And I was uh, leaned back at a nice Afghan over top of me, and I was watching something on TV and. Fell asleep. Get out of my chair. 
Sorry. And uh, I fell asleep. Uh, fell asleep. Uh, my wife and son were home, and uh, excuse me. And I fell asleep. And uh, I woke. I woke up because someone woke me up. I heard someone talking. And I woke up, and when I opened my eyes, I saw my wife standing at the end of our dining room table, which is adjacent from my chair. And she was facing the back of the house, which is a sliding glass door. I thought it looked very much like she was standing at the closest end to me of the dining room table, which is a long, uh, about a 200-year-old table. And... uh, uh, and Jeremy can tell you it's <clears throat> ridiculous looking. Uh, standing with her, her hands on the back of the chair, facing away from me towards the back of the house. And uh, like I said, I had heard someone speaking to me, uh, but I, I didn't make it out. So when I saw her standing there, I put the footrest down and I kind of sat forward. And I said, what would you say? And about that time... I heard somebody coming down the stairs, and I looked over, and it was my wife's feet coming down the stairs. Uh, Of course, with her attached to her feet. I was going to say, dun, dun, dun. What I saw was her feet coming down the steps, and I was like, "Uh, what? And And I looked back over at this, who I thought was my wife standing there in a, uh, in a skirt, um, and a, like a, like a off-white, sweater with she has long hair my wife has long hair and uh uh this this person's hair was about the color of my wife's hair straight and curly towards the bottom but when i thought about it after the fact it was a bit longer than her hair um but when i looked back at this person they uh melted into the room uh they didn't just fade away it it was. It's very hard to describe because I've never really seen anything like this before. But it was almost as if the body that I was looking at became the back of the chair, and the sweater and the hair became I don't know whatever's past that. The the uh, became curtains. It it literally its form melted into the visual of the dining room. <laughs> and I watched it do it. And uh, when Lisa came down to the boss base of the stairs, I said, I-, I just saw someone standing at the end of the dining room table. And she uh, pretty much ignored me because she doesn't want there to be anything in this house, which I don't think there is. I, I don't know what that was or what it... I mean, it certainly looked like her from the back, but... Uh, uh, I, the, I mean, you can't hear in my in my living room. You can't hear someone talking upstairs. You just can't. Uh, so whatever the voice was that woke me up wasn't the TV because the TV had been turned down. And um, I, I don't I don't know what I don't know what to make of that. But uh, it wasn't frightening. Uh, it was startling a little bit because I'd never seen anything. Surreal looking. I mean, it was very solid. It was like a person. It was like her standing there with her back to me. I, I looked at the hair. I looked at the curls, and I looked at the 
you know, the highlights in her hair. I saw all this stuff. It, it, perfectly clear. But it melted right into the room. I've never seen anything so freaking strange in my life. I mean, that was just, hmm. that was beyond uh, disorienting. Um, uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of weird shit, but that was... Did she move, wow. like, even incidentally, no. like a human breathing no. or just bobbing their head a little? No, not that I could see. No. Huh. Um, it just looked like she was standing, you know, with her hands on the back of the chair. I mean, I saw the elbow bones in the, in the you know, in the bottom of the uh, elbows. I mean, you could see all of these, just like it would be if a person was standing there. I mean, you just notice certain things, and... Um, the only thing I don't remember seeing is shoes, but I saw, you know, the skirt, I saw the leg, the calf, the heel, uh, or the beginning of the heel. Um, I saw the edge of the hands on the back of the chair, on the right, what would have been her right. Um, yeah, I mean, it very much looked like it was my wife standing there. Uh, but it obviously wasn't, uh, and I don't know what it was. Um, could it have been hypnagogic hallucinations? Uh, I, I guess, but I mean, I've never. I certainly, by the time I put my my, you know, my footrest down, I certainly wasn't asleep anymore, nor even groggy, uh, because it it's kind of startled me. Because if I've got, you know, my wife saying "wake up" and she's looking towards the the back end of the house. That means there's somebody there or something back there. And it, you know, at that point, I threw my foot on my feet down and and slammed the footrest in. And I said, "What'd you say?" And that was when boom, 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 here she comes down the steps. And uh, so I don't know. That's really it. I don't really know what else to say about it. Uh, it was very strange. Very very strange. Another woman. Another woman, yes. Let's go back to Norio for one moment here. Sure. One thing that I thought as I was listening to him was how I remember how much I used to care about these military stories. And this is no reflection on him or, or any anything like that. It's no. Just where my interests have gone. I mean, I used to really, you know, X-Files and uh -huh. all that sort of uh, conspiracy stuff, the paranoia, it all really yeah. fed into my fears and... and my interest in this mystery, you know, the mystery of all, and, it, and now it just falls flat. Now I just, yeah. I just don't care, you know. No, that's pretty much my my set right now too. I I I've deliberately stayed away from talking about the whole government angle of things because I really don't, I don't really think they know a whole lot more than us. I mean, I would like to have Lazar on only because he is such an interesting character yeah. and he does seem to be dynamic in ways that I think we could probably get to talking to him. <laughs> um, but other than that, uh, yeah, I, I, all of that stuff, I mean, it just seems like we already know where it comes from. There's no, there's no real mystery. I mean, I, yeah, I guess you could, you can just say, well, well, it's all the Bill Cooper and, or Bill Moore and, uh, you know, Richard Doty, it's all what they said, but that's, that's all you've got to go on anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, didn't, didn't you find it interesting that, that he, what piqued his interest was a set of documents that Bill Moore gave to him? Right. Uh, but then when Bill Moore says, uh, oh, yeah, I, I sort of helped with all that. Um, <laughs> well, that's not acceptable. Now we don't believe Bill Moore. Now it's... Right. Like... <laughs> Except that 
ultimately, he doesn't believe either of them because he doesn't believe the ETH. So, well, very confusing to yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I think what he's trying to do is to gain, you know, the attention of these people who are genuinely interested in the whole, you know, Area 51, Dulce, you know, connection or perceived connection to ufology. And I think what he's actually trying to to do is to get people to realize that there's, you know, when you level serious investigation at this stuff, you find all of these uh, characters making up stories and the, the proliferation of these nightmares on the internet um, going through this stuff. And I think, I think basically if you put Dulce to rest as some kind of, uh, you know, covert military joint alien ridiculousness, if you put that to bed, then that kind of, um, will keep other people uh, from coming forward saying, yeah, I work there and this kind of stuff happens. I mean, it's kind of almost disarming disinformation in a way um, to do that. So, uh, you know, I mean, as far as Lazar goes, I'd like to have him on the show too. I, I have written him. Um, I mean, my, my whole thought with him is that uh, I think that he's being honest about what he saw. But I question what he saw, uh, and I question what his mindset was when he was exposed to whatever stimulus has made him talk about this, uh, his whole story. I, I could very easily see that, that Lazar could have been drugged and, uh, and, and, and in, a, in a, you know, a suggestible drug state was shown UFO photographs and you know, told about these things, and uh, who knows what kind of subconscious diddling done uh, to then go out and talk about this stuff, that this is what we have, uh, that this is what we're back engineering. And, of course, at that point, every uh, enemy that you have in, in other countries would be looking for, oh, my God, well, what do they have? You know, this guy leaked this out. What do they really, What do, you know, what do they got over there? And, of course, while, while everybody's focused on the UFO thing, there's something else going on that is completely earthbound and, um, uh, and probably of a defensive nature that we don't need to know about. I don't want to know about that stuff. Um, because if I don't know about it, then I'm not in trouble. <laughs> I, thought, I thought Norio's story of Lazar was interesting, but I thought even almost even more interesting, um, I didn't realize that his, what is it, United Nuclear? Is that the United Nuclear. Yeah, his company is employed by defense contractors. Right. So here's a guy with these, you know, these whistleblowing <laughs> tales right. or delusions or a hoax. One of the three. Oh. One of the three, definitely. Right. <laughs> it's either true, it's false, or he's crazy. Uh, and the defense people are still working with him. How is that possible? Well, it's it's highly compartmentalized. I mean... You don't know how deep that that's going, that he's working with them, but, you know... Yeah, I mean, granted, I know it all... But, I mean, how on. is he allowed out? Um, <laughs> how is he allowed out of the loony bin? How is he allowed out on the streets? Because or, I think that... I mean, even... even, And I'm not saying because he's crazy. I'm saying <clears throat> that they would have put him there if, well, if any of this was a real problem for them, that he's coming forward with any of this Exactly. Uh, which is what I've said from the start. I mean, there's the, there's the whole story, I think, of... Um, one of his tires being shot out or something, or I, I can't remember the whole story now. It's been years since I looked at that, but 
uh, you know, and the threats uh, made to him and all that, and that's why he went public because he was afraid. I got news for you. <laughs> He wouldn't have made it. He wouldn't have been able to pick up a phone call if he was releasing something that they didn't want to be let out. I think it was a completely intentional leak uh, by a very credible guy um, who, you know, uh, they felt. I, I, I mean, I, I kind of think he was picked for this. I think his personality. Um, I think all these things are examined when they when they want to get somebody in to um, uh, organize some kind of intentional leak of something. And when you've got a guy saying that you know he worked on these things and whatnot, he could have been playing with you know Tonka toys on the floor, drugged up, and that's what he thought he was doing. Um, who knows how that all worked? But I think that it was completely intentional. Um, I do not think if he worked on, you know, true alien recovered technology and was going to go public with it, and they didn't want him to, it, it he'd be done. That'd be it. There would be. Did it. you think that at the time when he first came out? Yes. Huh. See, I, I never had the forethought of all that. I was uh, I was sucked into. He's either telling the truth or not. And oh my God, this is the Holy Grail. I mean, I really got sucked into that. No, I think it's. Uh, I mean. It, it, it all goes back to you know if if they don't want something to be known it won't be known and that's it and leak or you know it, I think this is what turns me off of any uh, government whistleblower on the UFO phenomena as a whole these are uh, I, I mean pick anyone you want there are people out there who say the government is hiding this and hiding that and then a government whistleblower comes up and says, well, I know this, and this is what happened to me, and here's the story. Why would you take anything that anyone involved in any capacity with working with this stuff or being exposed to it, why would you take any of that for granted if these are the very people who you say are keeping the secret? <laughs> why would you have any faith in what you're being told is real? Or true. Um, I mean, this is the problem I got with any of those type of people. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't care how old they are. Um, you know, I look at uh, uh, at somebody like Corso. Uh, now, a lot of people just say, "Well, he just made it up." You know, well, <laughs> I I I look at that and I think. They could have rang him up and said, look, you know, this UFO thing, we want you to put a, a little bit of a spin on things. Here's your story. Study it, learn it, and go public. Do you think a man of his caliber and in, in, with his career in the military, highly decorated, worked in intelligence, you know, commanded a nuclear base at one time, are you going to tell me that this is the kind of guy who would go, hey, fuck you, I'm done with military service? No. This is the kind of guy who would do his duty, if he perceived that to be his duty, he would do it. So, you know, no, I don't put any stock in, in, in that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Bob Lazar is a completely different thing because there's a guy who was just brought in to work on these specific things and then gone. He's out. And he's out talking. And, uh, you know, and all of that. I, I think the defining moment in that to me was when uh, he took a bunch of people, including John Lear, out uh, to watch this so-called 
uh, flight of these discs, these recovered discs that they had, and knew the timetable in which they were going to show up. Now, if you've got a guy who's doing that, you immediately know <laughs> he's telling people. And at that point, that's when you have a sharpshooter on the hill, and they're all done. Goodbye. That's it. You want to get rid of him? There's the place. You know he's talking. So it doesn't make any sense to me that he would be uh, out telling this story, even if it's in a public sense, if this were really what happened. I think, mm-hmm. I think certainly that he believes it. I, think he, I don't think he's lying in any way, but I question what his perception was. Um, and I'd be curious to ask him, did they ever give you an injection? Did they ever um, uh, tell you to drink anything or eat anything? Or uh, It not have been that obvious, but these are things I would like to know. Here's, some, here's a question maybe, I don't know, someone out there in listener land knows the answer to. Um, Norio spoke briefly about cattle mutilations and this one f- rancher who uh, believes that he saw you know, fluorescent markings um, on his cattle, the ones that were going to be picked, so that essentially the government's doing experiments with these cattle, these cattle mutilations, but they always return them, right? Right. Which I never got because, it seemed, one, it seems arrogant. <laughs> Two, it seems like uh, you know, another way to get caught. And three, there's not a better way to dispose of them. Um, does anyone know, this just came into my head just now, uh, what insurance policies are like for cattle? Uh, could you not claim a loss if the cow was gone? Could you only claim a loss if it died in such a manner and, and was there? Huh. You see what I'm saying? I mean, is it actually a good thing that they're doing, returning these things in some odd, you know, monetary or policy way? Huh. I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, my my question is 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 uh, I guess more to the root uh, of of that whole you know military or government capturing and killing of you know private cattle is can't they buy their own? <laughs> yeah, well, that would be that would be my first question. Would be, why not have a you know CIA ranch or something? Right. I know? mean, you got Area Fifty One. Have your base underneath. <laughs> <laughs> you got Area Fifty One. Take your cattle out there, fence them off. They got you know hundreds of acres out there to do what you want. Uh, why are you doing it to to uh, private ranches? I, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. There was a thing just on the other night on the History Channel. I think it was. Uh, called An Alien History of Planet Earth. And in there, they, they, the man did touch on the cattle mutilation thing, and he had a rancher on there. And I'm not sure if this was near Dulce or not, but uh, this rancher said he saw what looked like a disc uh, with lights on it picking up a cow. And he said, as I looked at it longer, I saw canopy lights come on and realized that this was a helicopter. And he said, uh, you know, there was basically a line attached to the cow, and they airlifted this thing away. Uh, some of the cattle that had been returned to him, uh, were mutilated, of course, and dead, uh, he said that uh, many of them, their legs had been broken because they'd been dropped. What does that mean? What, what's the purpose in that? Um and that many of the uh, lacerations or what have you, they determined that, 
a great many of them have been done while the cow was alive. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that's all about. I, I tend to think that maybe that's not government military at all, but maybe some sort of cult activity, like a highly funded cult of some kind. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's certainly weird. But um, uh, I think much like crop circles, I think there are plenty of cattle out there that die of natural causes and are eaten from the inside out by maggots and every other sort of parasite um, that may get thrown into the mix, uh, much like crop circles where there's a, a great number of them that are made by people, uh, but there are still a number of them that aren't. Uh, and it's a shame because I think a, I think a great many crop circles have been written off as, uh, or a great many people have written crop circles off as a, a human-based, you know, thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the purpose of all that would be. I don't, I don't, if it's the government, they buy their own cattle. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe they don't want to have to explain in a budget <laughs> what they're doing with cattle. Well, I mean, it's either that or, or whatever they're exposing this cattle to. If it is, you know, something like Norio says where it's some kind of, uh, uh, of testing uh, on cattle, maybe they want a populace of uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the general populace exposed to, some, to something um, that comes by way of a carcass laying in a field. I don't know. Uh, is it some kind of preventative thing for a general area to expose cattle to something, open wounds on it, and, you know, that's the way this... Maybe consider it sort of like a vaccine to um, to a large area of cattle. I mean, who knows? Who knows? I think that's all very strange stuff. <laughs> So, mm. interesting show, though. Interesting. Yes, now we will have to uh, get into contact with the Greg Bishop for yes. a follow-up with all of this uh, Richard Doty, Michael Moore, Mandy Moore. Right. Who? Roger Moore. Shenanigans. Right. So, I don't know. It's, uh... Uh... I think, I think it's good what he's doing with the conference though I think that's a good way to uh, he's probably doing it the right way which is you know let's stop bashing and let's look at the facts and let's have the people up here who know the facts and and can talk about them and and don't hold it in Jersey right <laughs> <laughs> I found that out the hard way right next cultural contact will be in Maryland <laughs> <laughs> yay <laughs> Um, yeah, we, we, you know, we joke, but it would be kind of fun to do that in, like, a room right next to Steve Bassett's <laughs> convention. <laughs> well. <laughs> Just rent a room and have a convention of our own. That is if we ever get out of Paratopia. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well. Anyway. What else? We got anything else? Is that I, done? I'm, I'm pretty done. You're done with your ice cream. I am done with that. Yep, it's right here. Yep. Nice. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Yeah. Adria, Adria, that's all. For-